As long as it's not illegal, immoral, and ethical, every move has to be on the table. back to all in i am your host rick jordan i'm here with lance tyson what's shaking brother nothing just another long day in in uh my zoom overload yeah right? i hear you that's where i am <laughs> zoom overload you know what that's a great place to start because we're talking about sales today and the the climate has changed a lot and the method of which we sell has changed a lot over this past year a lot of it's remote everybody working from home how much more difficult is it to sell over Zoom than it is in person? Well, I, I think you got a couple. And, and interesting enough, um, literally in the last probably month, this morning we were on the phone with a the largest purveyor of privately labeled ketchup, and somewhere, and it's in Indiana, somewhere between you and I, and they're struggling, right, because they can't go face to face. And now they have to actually do this, uh, you know, the zoom overload thing. And, and it's awkward. It's, I, I think it's better than selling on the phone, but you lose the 360 degrees if we were face to face. Cause it's, I can't tell whether you're really looking at me. You could be watching reruns of the office as far as I know. Right. We could just stare <laughs> into the camera, which, which is not a bad thing to do necessarily. No, not at yeah. all. Yeah. day, We need that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's tougher now. It's, it's a lot harder. It's two-dimensional as opposed to three-dimensional. It's better than the phone, though. I will absolutely say that. Yeah, it's like this interesting middle ground. And you're uh, you're CEO of Tyson Group, and you're a sales trainer for complex sales. And right. When we're talking about remote sales, you know, that middle ground that we have right now with Zoom, I've always loved video until I hated it last year when everything became that way because before it was more like a luxury, and it's like, hey, kind of like a fallback mode. You know, right. like if we can't, and especially being in technology as I am, we started to do this even before the pandemic hit. We started engaging with our clients more over video so we could have greater touch points and right. greater opportunities to sell. But then it always came to, it was always, man, it's like the, the best way to sell was you, you drive there, you fly there, you show up in person because there's nothing that you can do better than feel out that individual when you're, in, when you're just right there in front of them, feel the energy that they're projecting back at you. Yeah, it's a lot more. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting, right? So we do we, the majority of our businesses in sports and entertainment, right? So that's kind of we really have a, uh, a huge uh, customer base there. One of our best customers is Fenway Sports Management. And Fenway owns the Red Sox and they own Liverpool, right? And they're also an agency. So LeBron's a customer. And um, John Clark is their EVP. He before the pandemic, he said, "Hey, we're going to do more stuff on kind of, kind of how to virtually sell, right?" And way in front of it. So this is last October, and then he said something to me the other day. He goes, "You know what, though? When this opens back up, whatever it looks like, people are going to appreciate you when you make that trip across the country because it's going to mean something, right? It's going to mean something when you hop in that plane and you go to pitch somebody personally. But it's there's going to be this hybrid model that's going to make it difficult." And 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 that is the new normal, I think. And I'm not a soothsayer by any stretch, but I think we're going to have some kind of hybrid in between some things. But that's an interesting perspective that you're talking about the hybrid. Where do you see that fitting into the sales process? Because it, I'll give you just a personal thing here, real quick, personal opinion. You know, tagging off that in person, nothing sells like being in person. 
Yeah, we. I think the people that, the salespeople that jump back on that bandwagon the fastest are going to close more deals because it's like you said, it's going to mean more. But at the same time, there's no doubt that things have shifted forever now in sales, mm -hmm. and this has become more normalized. But yeah. when you talk about the hybrid, are you talking like maybe that video call is almost like a step of the sales process now? I, I think in some cases it's 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 actually going to be part of what we do. So what we're seeing, and we do a lot of consulting for complex sales processes, negotiations, and things like that. What we're seeing, and and I coach sales leaders all the time, like be careful saying when it gets back because welcome to the get back. We are at the get back. This is this is normal right now. This is and it's just like when we came out of the the financial crisis. There's a new normal, and yeah. and this is part of it. So I think what we're seeing right now is it's easy to avoid people, right? Where you can win time, win it because you got to sell that concept first. If you can't sell time, you can't sell anything. But the big thing we're seeing is this fragmentation of conversations where, like, if I were selling you, say, I were selling you payroll services to your company, and I'd sit down, we'd have a cup of coffee, we would get a lot accomplished in that meeting. We cover way more ground. What's happening now is there's way more fragmented conversations because it's mm -hmm. easy to go to this Zoom, to this Zoom. So you're seeing a choppiness in the sales process that I think is going to exist. And I think the salespeople or business people are there to win, whether they're it's somebody scaling their company up or operating the startup, pitching finances or selling a product or service. The person that understands the momentum where they need to create artificial momentum or the natural momentum and kind of control that fragmentation or acknowledge it, they're the ones that are going to win. Yeah, win. Fan, that's fantastic. I, I, I know where I'm implementing this, at least with my team now. The, the Zoom side of it, because I mean, we're still, we're essential services being in cybersecurity, you know, and it depends on the, the nature of the prospect, what they're comfortable with, you know, but if they're comfortable with in person, then we're going in person. It just has to do that way because plus it's a, it's an in-person scenario too, because the first time you get a lay of the land, especially in cybersecurity, there's a, there's a human aspect to it. However, we're starting to include that, that Zoom process almost like a 15 minute, maybe 30 minute intro call, which is more of like a qualification call than anything else. No, that's, that's, I think that's so smart. That call is not risky for a buyer. It's, and it's kind of a natural part. So like you said, we're, there's an organization that we're working with now. It's called One Team, and they have the players' rights for Major League Baseball players and NFL players. And they, and they sell, um, kind of like take some of the take an NFL player in the playoffs that's maybe not a star player but they're they're selling you know the the brands that want to be affiliated with them whoever it is and they're struggling a little bit because they're a new startup who explaining who they are they're using Zoom like you said as a capability call or a credibility call and it double it doubles down as a way for the seller to qualifier at least advance something whatever the move yeah, is yeah well said that is that's well said smart that's awesome good to know that i'm on the right track hey <laughs> i've been doing a little while you know i started in the engineering world and i always say this is like i cross over to the dark side sales is just so much fun you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's more people oriented we started talking about this even before the show we were just saying hey you know the the human side of it and i made the joke that you know our salespeople actually human to begin with, <laughs> we both got to laugh. We're selling to humans, but there's this, 
there can be this connotation, you know, and yeah. I, there was a movement at one point in time too. Do you remember this to where it was, you know, rip away the word sales from the title of salespeople, just so you're not confrontational from the beginning with prospects. There are a lot of industries that, um, you know, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. We we've worked with some um, big universities on their, their process to get donations, right? So a big one, a little South of you. And um, that's a, I won't name it. That's a big uh, Catholic university in Indiana. Um, the biggest one, right in the kind of the middle there. Yep, gold. Yep. And um, we weren't allowed to use the word sales and I'm like, and we're training and they're at, they're selling the concept of donating money. And we've done this for big 10 schools and things like that. And I'm like, you're asking me to play a freaking drinking game without saying the word drink, drink, drunk. Yeah. I mean, sales is sales, right? Like you said it well, because there's a nasty connotation that goes with the word selling, like in the bank, in the industry or some professional services, like accounting, they call it business development. They call it all these other things. But, but it's sales. And I think people do that because nobody wants to ever feel they're being sold. They want to feel that they're buying something. They're, they want a choice, right? There's a four-letter word or five-letter word sometimes that, you know, it doesn't come with the greatest credibility in the world. And I, I think you're right there. But, but it is a essential in any business. What would you say to people that, that run into that, to where they work for an organization, to where they're, they're stripping that sales side away? You know, because it's, it's interesting because most salespeople that you find, you know, you're, they're typically younger than what you and I are when they're yeah. running around because they're super high energy, you know, guys like you and I, we still have super high energy, you know, but when they're in their twenties and their thirties, you know, and they're just bouncing around and then they have management that says, oh, we're not salespeople, we're business right. development managers or whatever. And, you know, this is how you smooth talk. This is the sales process. Whatever happened to the the ethical aggression <laughs> that's supposed to exist. Right, right. No, and, I, and I, I think it depends what kind of industry you're in, right? Like there's a, I would much rather have somebody that's assertive that I have to pull back on their collar a little bit than to try to get to be somebody to be assertive, right? So I don't think, and I don't think a lot of organizations understand that, that um, I had a I had a client in the um, his name is Den, Den Bishop, still a client, and he um, is the CEO for a company called Holmes Murphy, and they sell employee benefits down in Dallas. And I think he said it best. I've never heard somebody say it better than this. Sales is was creating an opportunity where one did not exist, right? And so when, like you said, when you're doing that, if that is your role. You need energy. Um, it's like the the last four letters of enthusiasm, right? And the the word enthus means gift of the gods, or in Greek, God from mm -hmm. within. The last four letters of enthusiasm. I am sold myself. If you're not sold to what you're doing, you're not going to transfer that. And there's a lot of that dark magic in sales. I mean, th there are some like there are some shitty, excuse my language, some shitty things to sell. Like I, like there are like some, and if you're not excited about your own brand or your own confidence and things like that, you know, it's hard to do. So I think you have to, and anytime you're trying to, trying to quell that, right. When times are good, it's fine. Oh yeah. But right now there are organizations that are absolutely struggling and they're worried. No right? doubt. No doubt. I remember back, uh, this was a few years ago, but w one of the ways that I sold a client, they, they were a law firm. You know, we're talking about that assertiveness. I 
there was a, a report or whatever, you know, because back in those days, we used to do these free network assessments, you know, to where we would go and do these scans and find the vulnerabilities, you know, places where they were at risk for for hacks, for for whatever else, for breaches, for internal threats. And I dropped off the report because nobody was answering my calls after we did this. I'm like, there's got to be something or it's whatever. So I just walked in and literally just walked right. I mean, I treat this way when I buy vehicles too, right? I just walk right into the sales manager's office, you know, from the other side and I sit down there rather than the salesperson themselves. But I walked into one of the attorney's offices and dropped the report. I'm like, you know what? Nobody's answering my calls. That's okay. I just wanted to give you this and show you where your risks were at. So take a look at it because you're pretty vulnerable right now. And then give me a call. And I walked out and the guy's just stunned, you know, eyes wide open in front of me. And then he's chasing me out of his office, not like chasing me out of the building, but li literally running after me to catch back up to me to say, Hey, wh what do you mean? What do you mean? We're vulnerable at this point? Well, you know, we've done some stuff and I just wanted to, we, we did the scan that you wanted us to. And I just wanted to sit down and show you what's going on and see how we can move forward. It's as simple as that. You said nobody will, you know, they wouldn't return your call. But if you think about the principle, though, of what you did there and not to play armchair quarterback, but I think, you know, I'm always asked, like, how many times should you call people? What should you do? Um, should you knock on somebody's door? My, our theory in our business is if it's not illegal, immoral or unethical, everything's on the table. Yeah. Um, I can remember eight years ago, there's a gal who she's the, uh, she's the chief revenue officer now for a company called Tappet. Her name's Mika White and Mika, this is no, it was eight years ago. She was working for live nation and she decides to inbox the CEO of Chiquita banana. So at the time, nine years ago, inboxing somebody on Twitter was like, boy, that's like a social platform. Should you do it? And she'll talk about it was the biggest deal she had done up, up to that point. It was a multi-million dollar you know, sponsorship deal. My point being, I don't th I think in sales, we've lost a little bit and we're starting to get it back in creativity right yeah. now. Um, because it, and in some industries you need it. Um, but we we have like somebody said to me the other day, I, I brought up, I said, um, you should try faxing. And they go, there's no fax machines. I go, I, I know there's no fax machines. I'm not, you know, I said, but people still have fax numbers. I said, did you ever get a fax today? I said, go back to your company and fax yourself something. I said, tell me how it shows up on your phone. And they go, oh, it shows up like different. And in, in if you got an e-fax, right? Some companies do. I go, is it worth doing? Could be if it's a high value target. Right. There's a um, there's a pharmaceutical company like companies are struggling right now with all kinds of things. Like, think about this. Um, how many how many people do you know or maybe you personally wanted to get into pharmaceutical sales? Like, yeah. what a great job. Sell drugs, get donuts, get coffee, show up, talk to the doc. How hard? Memorize your product. Right. All my buddies wanted to get into that. Well, we start doing business with this major pharmaceutical company the last three months. They go, hey, we need help. and. I said, what do you need help with? We need help getting in the door. I said, just show up. And they go, no, no, I don't know if you've been to a doctor's office during the pandemic. There's protocols. Like people are doing teledoc appointments with doctors. You can't get in. We have to get in line. I go, oh, you got to get in line with everybody else now. They said, yeah. They said our whole sales process is predicated on landing the vault. So the way they've been trained is they're trained traditionally to be in front of the dock and that's where the pitch starts. They've never been trained to navigate the virtual office. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now they need hunters. 
right? Yep. So that whole profile of people that they have brought on might be good pitchers, but if they're not good hunters and half decent pitchers, it doesn't matter. Cause if you can't get in the door, like you, like you did with that, that security assessment, you're going to fail and you're going to fail miserably. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So we're talking about, you know, a lot of the problems that we're running into with the pandemic now too. Negotiations, I'm sure, have changed a lot because there's always negotiations when it comes to any kind of sales process for the most part. But what are you seeing in that realm over the past year or so? What are some of the bigger conversations or subjects of negotiations that are coming up in the sales engagements? No, I think I think it's a that's a great question. So <clears throat> if you're watching sports at, at some level right now, um you're, you know your team like like the um, Kansas City Chiefs last year and the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. And um, the 49ers are, are a customer of ours. And typically when you go to the Super Bowl or you go to the the cup or in, in hockey, you usually have a lot of leverage with the brands you're trying to do business with. And we were doing some consulting with the 49ers and they had this big brand they were trying to get into. And as we were kind of working with them, um, I hadn't gone, it had stalled and it wasn't hitting any timeline. And we do a lot of postmortems on deals. That's how we, we train negotiations. So we look at a postmortem on a dead deal, one that's been won and one that's been lost, but this was, this one just happened to be live. And I had suggested to the, to the VP and the salesperson, I said, so if I'm going to understand you're involved and then we got this lower level salesperson involved and they said, yeah, I said, we need the lower level. We need your AE to kind of go back to his counterpart and just say, "Look, if you had to redo this, um, um, what would it look like if you had a blank sheet of paper?" And the VP jumped down my throat and he said, "Lance, and I have a long relationship with these folks." And he's like, "Lance, we don't freaking negotiate against ourselves because that's really unorthodox." I said, "Well, what I'm hearing right now is you guys went to the Super Bowl. Your season's ready to start." Because you know you still have sponsorship deals going on. People may not be in the stadium, yeah, but you have yeah. media deals and stuff going on. And I said, there, I said it's not moving, and it's a priority deal. And he goes, um, he goes, we don't negotiate against ourselves. I go, I understand it's unorthodox. It's your only move, right? What we're seeing in negotiations right now is with COVID, right? It's affected so many things. Right. It's caused people to act very conservatively with budgets and things like that. Sure. Some sure. organizations are concerned about safety and survival. Yeah. So you have to do some unorthodox things where you might have to negotiate against themselves yourselves uh, a little bit to get some movement on things. So that's what we're seeing in negotiation. Like you're seeing a lot of unorthodox moves like that. And that's just one of multiple examples that way. Now I'm sure there's guys like a Chris boss or something who, you know, might come back and say, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Well, guess what? We got the deal done. I think you need to be looking at multiple strategies because it's no longer a straight line, especially with negotiation we're seeing right now. Sure. Chris a, is a great guy too. I've oh, met him. I've talked to him. Yeah. And it is sound like Fully endorse him. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also uh, George Ross, who wrote the book Trump Style Negotiation, <laughs> which is <laughs> <laughs> very interesting in of itself, too. But he was very unorthodox in the way that he would negotiate his real estate deals. And this was coming from a, a, a perspective of his number one, George Ross, who I met at Harvard when I spoke there. It was interesting when he talked about Donald Trump and how he would ask for literally like everything and never, never, never back down. And until somebody got to the edge of where they were just completely pissed off with him, 
And then he would just, I mean, take a look at the foreign <laughs> policy over the past four years, right? It's been typically that to where finally they got to the point to where they got so mad at, at Donald Trump to where he's like, okay. And then he actually came down to what he really wanted. So if it was a, you know, a number six or a seven on the scale is what he really wanted, the deal he really wanted to make, he would start at like a 10 and say, this is what I want and hold that line forever until everybody else was just so mad at him. Then he would be like, you know what? Well, what if we did this? And then by that time they're worn out, you know, and they just, yeah. <laughs> just would yeah. say, well, you know, that, that also that style that, that you hear about that Trump used is actually a style that kind of dis you create some distortion. You create like a flare. It's taught at Wharton a little bit, right? It that's kind of, yeah. That's where he graduated from. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah. know, there, there. I was I was just on. Um, I was just doing a, a another podcast interview with the the guy a guy that runs the partnership team at at Madison Square Garden, and I said to him, his name's Ron Skatarzak, and he's the senior VP at, at the Garden for partnerships or the EVP, excuse me. And I said. I said, Ron, I said, who's the best negotiator, you know, in pro sports? And he started naming a few. I said, how about Joe Banner? He goes, yeah, I used to work with him at the Eagles. And Joe has worked for a lot of team is known to do a lot of contracts with players at the time when the Browns and the Eagles. Yeah. Joe has an interesting style because I watched him a couple of times. Not that I was involved with coaching him or anything, but I watched some of the deals he did. He would start off on a back line. So instead of starting at the top, he would start off his very back. So when you'd go for the counter offer, you would keep counter offering against because he knew he couldn't move backwards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he yeah. couldn't come out of that move and he'd almost bury himself in the corner. It was still a good deal for whoever he was working for, it's still profitable. But I, I had I have a buddy that works for Turner Construction. He goes, He's the only man that ever made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. I um I appreciate Chris Voss too. You bringing him up because uh, you know he's the one. When I read his book years ago, man, you know the art of negotiation. He was really the one that taught me the the power of the word no. You know, it's just incredible, and it's such an easier path to get to no than it is to yes. It's true. It's true. That's and that and you think about that's such great advice because even in sales, getting to the no. Yeah. Right. The sale is a series of five to six yeses until you get to the one no. And the one you could have five or six yeses and no, at least you know, right? Yeah, right on, right on. I love that. Yeah, negotiations are interesting this time of year, you know, or th this past year, I should say. The conservatism of every organization that exists right now is something that I think I see extending for quite a while yet because of just the uncertainty and economics that exist. And what's a good way to overcome that uncertainty? Because I know you have this concept that objections and negotiations are cousins, right? <laughs> and uh, that one of the uncertainty, because that's one of the ones that I don't think any prospect will really just come out and say, because it's almost like an insecure position, because in sales, you, I'm sure you know this, there's smoke screens, right? And almost every objection you hear is a smoke screen to begin with, which could be this, we're just uncertain right now. We're, we're maybe not comfortable with making a move, period. So when, when you get to that core objection, how do you overcome that? Our philosophy is you never start negotiating. You can't negotiate if you're blind. You can't bargain if you're blind, right? So that that's number one. And we always believe that objections come before negotiation. And then the art, the art of resolving objections is smoking out what that objection is. The problem is some people think the buyer is so smart that they've actually 
I've really never met anybody that's that smart and really nine moves out. I think most good people might be two moves out. Yeah. Yeah. And they they kind of read it. I could be wrong. I could be naive. Maybe I am. But so I I think, I think you get a lot of knee jerks, right? So I think you're, you're doing a couple of things from a strategy standpoint, right? What we teach is we teach mindset over strategy. What's the buyer's mindset? And then what strategy you're going to invoke to deal in every part of the sale. So we believe right now, for instance, there's a COVID objection, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, we we were trying to do business with this logistics company in Austin. And we're like, we're convinced that their business was really good until I got to the CEO. And he goes, yeah, business is good. But our receivables have gone from 30 days to 90 days because of our customer base. Yeah. So he's looking at cash flow at that point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I don't think he comes out of the gate saying that. So he's dealing with uncertainty with different. So so the knee jerk was do nothing because we're uncertain until I said, oh, you know, I started to smoke stream, you know, expand on that. Tell me more. What else? Right. And then you're asking questions like if we can solve that, would you be willing to move forward? It's like a yes or no. And then you're, you're pulling it apart and then you're getting them in a way one concept against the other. I think sometimes in that smoke out to deal with that uncertainty, your questioning is, is helping their knee jerk reaction to why they don't want to do something. So it's either get like, because there is the unsolvable objection. Of right? course There's there is. Not, yeah. not every objection solvable. So I think what you're do, what we teach is you're categorizing that uncertainty against other priorities. At some level, you know, you're gonna you're gonna wait and see for how long until you lose out on an opportunity that your competition's gonna, you know, capitalize on. How long is how when does one overcome the other one? So yeah. you, so you're astutely trying to get people to rack and stack that. That's kind of where it is. And it's I wish there's I try to teach all the time, and there's really not that silver bullet. There's a pathway to get there. It just depends. Can you pull it off? Do you have the skill to actually pull it off, or do you have the methodology in the methodology to pull or it off? Or even the commitment to pull it off. Right. Most people, most salespeople like to fold. They said no. Yeah. Well, it's it's, just, it's like this too. I mean, you know this as well as anybody. Any salesperson you ask you, how's that meeting? They go, Oh, it's great. You think you're gonna go? Hundred <laughs> percent. That's great. Yep. Right? Uh, I feel really uh, good about it. <laughs> That's the- <laughs> Great meeting, right? Nobody's ever had that meeting, right? So, like it's that eternal optimism about it. So, um, (laughs) what's the probability? Oh, ninety-five percent. That's a. That's what we do when we do sales, any kind of sales management work, and we're anytime we do pipeline work, we have to coach the managers to teach them that their job is to allow to get things out of the pipeline, not keep things in the pipeline. So we make it put all these like in our business. You are not allowed to put a deal in the pipeline at what you think it will sell out. Sell out. You're only allowed to put it in for 30% of what it would sell at. Nice. Or close negotiate. So you're not, you're only allowed to upgrade what the sale is over time. Because if you think about it, like this is how this goes down. A third of the people you talk to will buy now, a third of the people you talk to will buy in the future, and a third of the people you'll buy that 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 you talk to will won't buy for you from you ever, even if you tried to sell them a dollar for 90 cents, right? Like they're just not going to buy. Yeah, the problem yeah. is all the sales people think everybody they meet with is probably going to buy from them. So you got to put things in to keep the salespeople in check. Secondly, 
most salespeople assume an objection. They don't ask the objection. They project the objection. I think the challenge is this. Did Wait, you say ask that it? again. They project the objection. They project it. So, so for instance, like there's a lot of studies out there. Uh, we do a lot of assessments. A salesperson has a certain buying DNA, okay? And they'll sell based off how they buy. So I was literally on the phone before we got on with a guy named Evan Gillies. He works for the, the Hawks and he sells premium seats, big suites, hmm. right? But, and he also sells club seats. Evan shops at Target. There's nothing wrong with shopping at Target. <laughs> for There's sure. nothing wrong. Yeah. But the point is he looks for a deal. So if he has a choice to sell a suite or a club seat, he always airs to the club seat because that's what he's most comfortable with, right? So he projects the pricing objection on the buyer. He doesn't necessarily ask the buyer that they have a pricing objection. So he assumes that objection. That's a huge challenge for salespeople, huge. No doubt. I was using the phrase I was taught and that is shopping with your own wallet. It's a trap. It's a, it's a, I'm a Star Wars fan. I just said an Admiral Akbar line. Oh my God. It's a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's for all my, my tech friends that are listening today. <laughs> yes. But, uh, so you train sales teams, right? How, mm. how do you build a success one? Because it seems like you're almost like the cavalry that comes in. Is that about right? So where you've got a, dif a dysfunctional sales team and you've got to go in there and repair it? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think there's a, you know, whether it's me or one of our trainers that go in, we're either, we're either going in to augment something that's not working or enhance it, right? Like I use that example of one team, they're struggling, you know, organizations like that struggle, like who are we, how do we define who they are, or it's going in to, to, to look at marketplace driven stuff. So it's, so when you're building a sales team, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. And let me use some outside pro sports. I'm on a board for a rental company in Ohio and it's a pretty big rental company, about hundred million dollars a year and talking to the owner and people like him, they think, they think the salespeople are special. Like we got to find either somebody like me or I don't want to mess with what I got because, and then they, then they're run by terrorists, right? These people hold them hold, hold them hostage all the time yeah. because they can't figure out how to duplicate it. They don't know any of the science. I mean, so many organizations don't do any kind of predictive analysis on a profile. What makes a good salesperson? Like I try to explain to people all the time, not every sales skill is trainable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I can't, if you're not, if you can't, if you got a run of four, four, 40 and you run a five, four, 40, let's be straight with each other. You are never running a four, four, 40. Let's, let's be crystal clear about this. If you ain't fast, you ain't fast. Some people aren't good at presenting. Some people aren't good at asking questions where you can't train skill. You must implement process right? You must have a predictable way to do it. It doesn't mean they'll be great. It means they'll be serviceable. Yeah. So yeah. Right on. You're going to build a great sales team. There's so much technology around assessments at this point. I mean, most of the time we, we, I'll be frank with you. If we're coming in to work with your sales team, I wouldn't even work with your sales team unless we did a telephone audit. And I would want your opinion about what you think they are. Yeah. But I would say, look, we're going to measure, we're going to take their KPIs, look at all the skills and processes they need to be successful. I won't even touch them unless we can see a talent audit. And then we'll go back to you and say, like, look, here's the gaps. And then we'll focus the training on those gaps. 
I'm so surprised that that ex- sales executives only use hiring assessments. They don't use them on what they already have. So if you're going to build, I think you got to look at the skill set. Look, a duck's a duck's a duck. You know, if you're trying to make a duck an eagle, you're going to do nothing but piss the duck off. Right? <laughs> That's one angry that duck. Does, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> all that does. And there's sales executives that try to do that all the time. Yeah. I look at uh, Jordan Belfort's straight line persuasion. You know, of course, when he was at, when he had his brokerage, you know, and he took the, the worst of the worst and they were making millions of dollars a year selling securities. And the way that he did, he didn't really, from my opinion, is what you're saying. He didn't really make bad salespeople, good salespeople. He was able to teach people a process. Yes. You know, and the process, because it was his process. He's a, he's a badass yep. salesperson, you know? And then yep. he just injected that and taught everybody how to follow the process and they were successful. No, that you're, you're so right. It's just like watching national championship game. Why is a Ryan day or Nick Saban good? They lose 25% of their talent every year, a quarter percent of their talent turns over. Well, they put them in a process to be successful. The only thing when you take a Belford's pro- process, if you, and you look right now, his book sitting right behind me, I've yeah. watched stuff on him. The only issue right now is, and this is something that's coming out in my next book. We actually believe right now, we're in a scenario because of the economy and a lot of industries, especially B2B, you're more in a read offense right now. The problem is it's because you got these COVID objections, you got economical and uncertain objections, whether it's whether it's the social social injustice that's going on, whether the economy is being bad, yeah. however you're affected, you almost need to kind of go in with multiple strategies up front, just like we talked about with negotiations. So it there will be a lot of salespeople in the next five years that will not survive. So if you're in a if you have a process that's inflexible in a good economy, and I'm not criticizing Jordan at all. He's been very successful. Should he had a movie after him, right? Like yeah. bottom line, if you're gonna have to look, you're in a read off. And so imagine you're coming out of a huddle, you have a play called and you're you're looking at the D and you're going, eh. We might have to, we have to call an audible here. That's a lot of selling and a lot of negotiation is going to look like that the next couple of years, because we're standing on these tectonic plates that are shifting a little bit B2B. We're seeing a ton of that right now. So it's kind of that, that ability to be agile, right. Is, is going to be the game for the next couple of years. No doubt. I'm looking forward to it, man, because you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of filtering and those who are able to follow a process before it's like the playbooks thrown out the window at this point in a lot of ways. And it's going to be exciting to see because there's going to be, a, like you said, there's going to be a lot that don't survive the next five years. And there's going to be a lot that will just completely take off too, which is exciting because those are the ones that are, are shiftable. Their, their mindset can be trained and they're adapting to what's going on right now. And they see the opportunity that exists to actually legitimately help people. And they'll make the moves, I feel too, just like you're saying, they might be the first ones that jump back on a plane. They might be the first ones that, that show up at a door in person again, just because they nobody else is doing it, you know, and that's the audibles. And when nobody else is doing it, I always feel like that's the thing that I should be doing. A hundred percent. You are so right there. A lot of principles are always going to be sound, right? People buy from people to sell as human, like Daniel Pink said, human to human selling. They're all principles that work. You're going to need a lot of touch points to get in the door, right? That's still sound a sound questioning process, right? Um, winning time, up, that, that's all sound. But at the same time, 
you need when you need to shift or be agile or situational, you better be able to do it and better be able to move quick. As long as it's not illegal, immoral, and ethical, every move has to be on the table. Yep. All right. We'll end it with this. Okay, cool. Biggest deal you've ever done. Dollar amount. Go. Dollar amount. Um, it was a it was a about a $10 million deal across several uh countries. And in training, that's a big deal. That's a that's a that's a big deal because it's a lot of moving parts and and it was I think it was about 15,000 people that were involved in training across the board is when I was at Dale Carnegie training, so. That's awesome, my man. Way to go, congrats on that. Thank you for being on today, Lance. I'm sure everybody's gonna get value out of this. I know I did today too, and I enjoyed the banter back and forth too. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on, I really appreciate you. You bet. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me. 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.